This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm really delighted to introduce you to a supremely gifted American theater, television, and film actor who is also a very talented singer, librettist, composer, director, and theater producer, Lee Summers is his name. He is best known for creating and producing off-Broadway's From My Hometown. But one of the things that initially attracted me to this multi-talented artist is that he made his Broadway debut in one of my favorite shows of all time, the original Broadway production of Dreamgirls, the iconic show that of course later became an acclaimed and an award-winning film. Lee Summers has performed numerous roles for daytime and primetime TV, including Blue Bloods, Boardwalk Empire, New York Undercover, and Law and Order. And he has appeared in such films as Malcolm X, directed by Spike Lee, as a musical theater performer, in addition to making his Broadway debut in the original Dreamgirls alongside castmates Cheryl Lee Ralph and Loretta Devine, he later reprised his role in the Dreamgirls 20th anniversary concert alongside Audra McDonald, Philly Porter, Heather Headley, and other Broadway notables. Summers has also appeared in numerous off-Broadway productions, including on Kentucky Avenue, for which he was nominated for the 2018 Odelco Award for Best Supporting Actor. Summers has also toured the U.S. and Europe and has even performed at Carnegie Hall and was also awarded New York's Bistro Award for his one-man show, Winds of Change. A two-time Adelco Award winner, Summers also produced, conceived, co-wrote, and co-composed Off-Broadway's From My Hometown, a celebration of the American dream in classic R&B, which ran for two years, receiving eight Adelco nominations. Summers also won his first Adelco Award for Best Director of a Musical for On Kentucky Avenue in 2018 and his second Adelco in 2022 for his direction of Ella, First Lady of Song. And for that, he was also the librettist on that show. Both productions won Best Musical of the Year. Most recently, in 2023, Summers won a Broadway World Regional Award for Best Director of a Musical for Hair. All of these iconic shows, the American Tribal Love Rock Musical for Hawaii Performing Arts Festival. Summers' works have also been licensed and produced in New York and in theaters nationwide. Summers is also known for his long-running Just a Piano Concert series, which has presented concerts benefiting charitable causes such as the Actors Fund, and BCEFA, along with numerous star-studded concerts featuring artists such as Jennifer Lewis, Lilius White, and Melba Moore, and many others. In support of the environment, Summers has also worked with the Natural Resources Defense Council, presenting fundraisers such as the NRDC Night of Comedy, featuring Seth Myers, Hassan Minaj, Tiffany Hadish, 
and others. As an educator, Summers has served as an adjunct faculty and or instructor for several colleges and universities, including Motlow College, Lehman College, NYU's Tisch, graduate musical theater writing program, and as a guest artist lecturer at Tennessee State University, just to name a few. Summers currently serves as adjunct faculty at NYU Steinhardt's Department of Music and Performing Arts Professions. He's an alum of Tennessee State University. He holds a BA from SUNY Empire State College and an MFA from NYU Tisch. He's a member of AEA, SAG, AFTRA, SDC, and DG. Do I get an award for Lee Summers? What an incredible bio. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. (laughs) Thank you and good night. I... I, (laughs) I, I didn't know you were going to read all of that. I just thought you guys wanted a bio. You're going to pull a few lines from it. Oh we my say goodness. it all. We say it all. You know why? Because I always think that you've done all of this. And I know people have said things like when they hear it all, they go, wow, did I really do all of that? But you did do all of that. And that's why I think it's really important that our audience meet you and know all of the incredible work that you've accomplished thus far. There's more to go. So I have to ask you, Lee, and welcome, and so great to have you here. It's my pleasure to be here. And again, thank you for taking the time to read all of that and to read it so beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Lee, you began, and I found this interesting because I'm a journalist, you began as a communications major who wanted to become a newscaster, which you could have absolutely done. What happened to change your trajectory? Oh, my goodness. I don't know from where you in your research, you found that little nugget because that's not in my current bio, but that is absolutely true. I Tennessee State to uh, I wanted to be good evening. This is Lee Summers with the news. And uh, I my freshman year, I ended up auditioning for a play nudged by one of my dear friends, God rest his soul, his name was Barry Bruce. And he he nudged me to audition for this play, and I did. I didn't get in it because I was so intimidated by all of the other actors and the uh, who was my theater advisor, W. Jury Cox, pulled me to the side and said, had you come back, I had a role for you. So the next play, I did go through the whole process. I wasn't intimidated as much, and I got cast in a play, and I heard the applause, and I felt, I felt my bliss. How about that? And, and I realized that I was in my rightful place on stage and performing, and I just fell in love with it. And I, I changed my major from my sophomore year on to now. <laughs> you sort of got bitten by that showbiz bug when you were doing that performance in college. But even back a little more, in high school, you were in a spoken word competition which you won first place for. So that was also, and that might've been leading you to journalism, but you did that as well. But I love the story the most about how when you were a kid, you played a butterfly and your mother sewed your tights and even sewed your wings and supported you from the very beginning. What do you remember about that very first time on stage as a little kid and what that was like for you performing in your first play? Oh, my goodness. If my mother sees this, she's going to so appreciate the research that you've done, particularly with that story, because there's nothing like when you are and I know you do the same with Lily. When you have a a child that you are nurturing and that you are giving them that sense of accomplishment and and praising them for the things that they do, filling them up with love. And so what my mother did, because I've heard stories of other young people who had the same moment in their childhood, little kid 
wear some tights, put on some wings or something. And it hadn't turned out like mine did. I've heard people that were like shunned, their fathers told them, no, you won't do that, forbade them to do that. But my mother took her time, sewed that little costume. I put those tights on and every line I said, and she, to this day, she will tell you that I looked right in her face in the audience and said my lines. <laughs> and, and, and then she says, and I've always said this, she said that I said afterwards, did I do good mama? And she said, you did wonderful. You were <laughs> wonderful. And that poured into me. That was all, it was always those, those crucial moments. I remember the first time I learned to play Roberta Flax the first time ever I saw your face. And I went out to my a family gathering and sat down on the coffee table and played it. And it was crucial because the, my family all gave me that love. Yes, you really can sing. Uh, so it's those uh, little moments. And when I look back on my life, they're like dots I can connect that sort of fed me along the way. Bird crumbs of belief and confidence. It's so true. You need that. You need people to believe in you and support you. And you had that from the very beginning, which is so incredible. And I think also from a very young age, one of your greatest influences was Sammy Davis Jr. Because he could do it all, what you do. I mean, you do it all and more, sing, act, dance. And I love that story about how when you were working on a show on Broadway, I believe on 46th Street, and your friend told you that Sammy Davis Jr. was at another theater up on 50th Street, and you walked over those few blocks, your heart probably beating very, very quickly, and you met Sammy Davis Jr. and Liza Minnelli and Ben Vereen. And I'm, I'm getting the shivers just as I imagine what that must have been like for you. You were rendered speechless. You couldn't even talk at first. What are your memories of that night? Where did you find that story? <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even know what I have floating out there in the world right now. But yes, that, that, <laughs> that definitely did happen. And I was truly rendered speechless. I, I felt like I'd stepped into another world. I hadn't been around a lot of celebrities. I certainly hadn't been around, hadn't been around someone whom I idolized. And so it was surreal. It was like watching uh, a cartoon or, or being underwater because I, I just held them at such high esteem that I felt so small that I could barely find words. And I didn't say very much. I was just in their presence. And um, uh. eventually I would become rather familiar with Ben because my friend who was his road manager continued to bring us together and I began to relax around him. But when I met Sammy Davis Jr., totally intimidated. And I had uh, more opportunities to hang out with Liza after that. And I ended up at a Thanksgiving once at Whoopi Goldberg's house with Liza and all of us uh. singing, around, uh, singing around the piano. So I, 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 uh. I, I relaxed around Liza through the years. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. There was someone that you had such a desire to meet who I think probably is the most blessed, beautiful actor that ever lived. And that, of course, is Sidney Poitier. And you did get to meet him as well. And I think you were even intimidated because that seemed almost too big. But you did yeah. meet him. What was that? Very like? briefly, very briefly at, I think it was city center and there he was. And I was introduced to him. He was lovely. It was very brief, but I did get a chance to meet him. 
Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. So as I said off the top, what drew me to wanting to interview you was that you were in the original cast of the iconic Dreamgirls. I remember I had a boyfriend, I'm not going to say his name on the air, but he was obsessed with that show back in 1985. And he got me an album, like a CD, mm-hmm. I think in those days, or I don't even know if it was a CD, whatever it was called. It, then. Was, it was a, it was a, no, there was an album too. Yeah. There was yeah. an album mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he said, you have to listen to this because this is the best thing ever. And he said, I had the pleasure of seeing it on Broadway. Can you take us back to that audition and what that was like being part of your first Broadway production? It's pretty heady stuff. Yeah, well, Dreamgirls had opened in 1981 and I joined them in 82. So I was one of the one of the replacements and I listened to that same album that you had listened to. And metaphysically, if you will, I remember saying to one of my friends, I was at the 1982 World's Fair singing and dancing, doing seven shows, rather uh, four shows a day. And I said to my friend, Michael, I said, Michael, I am going to be in this show. And so I had auditioned Michael Bennett, the great Michael Bennett, who directed and created a chorus line and directed... Dream Girls and many other shows. He had said to me that I was too young to play the role that I was right for. And eventually, when I came back, I sort of, I don't know how, what happened. Somebody got released and I was able to slide right in there as the MC. Also, I had watched a girl the, the year before fall asleep in the audition room. She fell asleep. And they came out, rather not, she fell asleep in the lobby waiting. And they came out and they said to her, congratulations, Julia, you are, we're hiring you. And I learned something from that. I learned that sometimes when we want things so badly that we actually get in the way of them, you know, it's the wanting that the universe hears as opposed to the actual thing that we're trying to get to. So I emulated her the next time I came back. I made it my business to chill to, to just be as laid back as possible. And I remember to answer your question, there was a line, the Vinnie Lift, who was the Lift, who was the casting director, at the end of that long day of just watching my competition go in and out of the room, they had me waiting. He came to me at the end of the day and he said, Lee, or Leon is my name, was my stage name at the time. Uh, Leon, your long day's journey into Dream Girls is now over. Congratulations. And I wanted to scream. I wanted to scream, but it was the end of the day and the whole creative team came out at the same time. The day was over. So I just wanted to just get to the elevator to get away. I was so happy. And then they all got on the elevator with me. (laughs) I was like, can I just have this moment (laughs) Moment. to scream? And, And so we were at the elevator downstairs and I'm like, whichever way they go, I'm going the opposite way because I need this moment. And and so I I, I went the other way and I went went to the first payphone and the same lady who had sewn my little butterfly costume, I called mama and said, mom, I'm on Broadway now. So, yeah. What did she say? Do you remember oh, what you know, said? she was just, I wish I could remember specifically what she said, but I just know it was joy. It was bliss. I love the name of your show, by the way, because I I live for the finding your bliss. I, Joseph Campbell, all of that. I put a pin in that, but I definitely wow. am a big fan of finding one's bliss. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. I guess without further ado, you've done a wonderful thing. And I'm so excited as you've provided us with a clip 
from 1985 of you performing Family from Dreamgirl shortly after the original Broadway production had closed. Mm -hmm. Lee, can you set this clip up for us? Sure. Before I joined Dreamgirls, I had worked with a cabaret company in Indiana. And after Dreamgirls closed, I went to Monte Carlo for a little while to sing and dance. And then that cabaret company invited me back and offered me my own show, my one man show. And so uh, the show was just a lot of fun. And I would always close it because I was coming fresh from Broadway. And that was that was my brand, if you will. So I felt it was appropriate to uh, sing to the audience a, a song from Dreamgirls. And, but I used it as somewhat of an anthem for the world as opposed to how it is structured dramatically in the show. In the show, it's, it's Effie, the protagonist's little brother, saying, go ahead and step back and not, don't be the lead singer of the group. But the way yes. that my reimagining of the song when I'm singing it before the audience is we are a family. We are a universal family. And it's more than just about me or you. So that's what you're going to see on that very grainy old footage. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to play that on my on our social media because I want people to see it because now they're just going to hear it on the radio. But I will say this, just as you're listening, there's a, a moment where you walk into the audience and you shake hands with different people. This is very pre-COVID and you're shaking hands and there's such a warmth and such a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So without further ado, Let's all have a listen to Lee Summers singing Family from Dreamgirls. Oh my God, Lee, that was so beautiful. I really love your voice. And I wish I had been in that audience or any of those audiences to see you perform in that production. Wow. Judy, I hadn't heard that clip in decades. And when I think it was either Naira or Jess, when they asked me the second time around to find something, <laughs> I went digging around last night and found that. So thank you for asking me to find that because it kind of fed my soul too, to see it again. Oh. Just beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. You, you mentioned earlier that you worked with Michael Peters, who choreographed Michael Jackson's song, Beat It. That's crazy. You were talking a little bit about it, but what was that like working with this man? I wanted people to know that that's who choreographed Beat It by Michael Jackson. Right. Like he's well, pretty big. He's huge. And God rest his soul. We've lost so many of the people that were in Dreamgirls. That's why when you were reading my bio and there was an acronym, a B C. Uh, BFC, that was Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS. Mm -hmm. 
And we lost so many of the original Dreamgirls cast members and the creatives. So I had mentioned Michael Bennett earlier, who was the director and and choreographer, but he had a co-choreographer and that was Michael Peters. So there were two Michaels. And Michael Peters was also the choreographer for Thriller. And for, yeah, it was Thriller. And the first one was, that's uh, Beat It. So he did Beat It. And you guys have seen the guy in the white jacket that's fighting and dancing with Michael. That's Michael Peters. Oh, uh, my goodness. But he also choreographed and staged Thriller as well. And as I said a moment ago, sadly, we lost him uh, during the AIDS crisis as well. Mm. But so, yeah, Michael Peters, an iconic uh, choreographer. I think it was around the time of Dreamgirls, after that production, you've written that around this time, that experience fueled your desire to write as well. And I'm wondering, what were your thoughts at the time about working as a librettist and as a composer, because you were a singer, a dancer, an actor, all of those things. And then you decided you wanted to start composing and being a librettist as well. Can you tell us about how that evolved? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break and we come back more with talented actor, singer, dancer, composer, director, and educator, Lee Summers. Be right back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And I've been having a delightful conversation with Lee Summers, who was just about to tell us about what motivated him to start composing and writing musicals. Lee, can you tell us more? Yeah, well, two things. One is living inside of the the machine that was Dream Girls. Because as I mentioned, I joined them as the show had been running. And I did the show until it closed in 1985. And during that time, I got to see... Many of the people, uh, Shirley Ralph, I saw her, who just won an Emmy Award recently here in the States. I saw Cheryl, uh, Cheryl left the show. I saw Loretta Devine leave mm-hmm. the show. I, but at the same, and I saw Jennifer Holliday leave the show. But the show continued to get the same standing ovations. And that piqued my curiosity because I realized that this work of art was pretty much, I use the term actor proof because it was actor proof. It's like no matter who was doing it, it was written so well, which is why to your point earlier in your introduction, you mentioned that that Dreamgirls also became a, a feature film. And the same role that won a Tony for Jennifer Holliday won an Oscar for Jennifer Hudson. Yes. So I was fascinated with the structure. I, I was that piqued my interest. And so what happened in uh, that small town in Indiana that I mentioned uh, that where I sang the footage that we just saw, I had a car accident 
a, a pretty serious car accident and I, I broke my leg in three places and I had to go home to Nashville to recuperate for nine months. Mm. And in that nine months, I had um, carved uh, my name on a tree as a kid with a star around it. And here I am like 10, 15 years later on crutches. I look at the tree. The tree has grown up. It's as taller than I am now. And mm. that star around my name, Lee, as opposed to Leon. And so I realized that that was my that's where the bliss began as a child. And because I had been like in the hospital for a while with pipes in my throat and and learning mm. how to walk again, I began to um, to to write. I began to write. And because wow. I knew that my instrument had was it enjoyable? It was what, very enjoyable. Was it? And it, the writing. Yeah. Yeah. The writing process. The writing became my voice. It became my voice because I couldn't sing for a while and I couldn't, I had been told that I might not, I might even limp. And I was like, nope, I'm not, not sure. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so happy. Uh, so, yeah. So using that time that I was there in the Imperial seeing Dream Girls and then having the time to recuperate and to change or to expand my creative voice into the, the written word more so, that's how the writing came about. And and because I realized that all of my literary heroes, all of them, I mean, you, one might think that you just decide to have a new career, but you, you got to do that to write on that level and to have that kind of craft. You got to go to school. So I went back to get a, a master's degree at Tisch in the musical theater writing program so that yes. I could really learn the craft. Yes, that's so good. Who are some of your literary heroes? Oh, my goodness. Obviously, August Wilson who wrote the um, the seven plays. Everybody knows. I just would encourage everyone to Google August Wilson, uh, The Piano Lesson, which I just ran on Broadway again, another revival. Lorraine Hansberry. Lorraine Hansberry mm. wrote A Raisin in the Sun, mm. which was a powerful play that broke mm. all kinds of records and opened all kinds of doors for writers of color and female writers. Mm-hmm. Another hero, her name is Nikki Grant, she was the first African-American woman to write and compose and serve as the librettist of a Broadway show, um, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. And um, ironically, one of her stars, his name was The Bobby Hill. While I was a senior at Tennessee State University, Bobby Hill decided to leave Broadway and come back to school to get his degree and he came back as a 40-year-old freshman while I was a 20- or 19-year-old senior. And we did work together. And it was Bobby, who had come from Broadway, who said to me, you have what it takes. What it to takes. I remember work. that story. Yes, he yeah. said, you, are, you have the it factor. You have what it takes. He said that to me. And that was early on. And that was another one of those milestone signposts. Like you had another your mom. Little roast, another right? break from another signpost. Yes. Yeah. So Really um, interesting. Wow. So Mickey Grant being one of my heroes, an actor from her world came back and gave me one of those little breadcrumbs. Yes. Lee, when you went back to school, Billy Allen, who evidently had a great sense of humor, said, and I quote, oh, you're going to get your white folk papers at NYU. What made you go back to school to get your MFA? She's the wife of Luther Henderson, who was the musical director of Ain't Misbehaving and many other Broadway shows. Oh. She's an arranger, God rest his soul, and hers as well. 
But yeah, Billy had worked with me. We had worked together. And uh, she said to me, it has to do with systemic. We don't really want to go down that road too far. But here in America, there's a lot of systemic racism. Of course, you know, America, the whole construct of race is pretty much our our thing. And so uh, people of color have a different journey here. And uh, so... Uh, and we have to have different uh, levels of, say, endorsement, if you will. Or yes. All right. So Billy made a joke, but it was very serious. He was saying that you've been doing this and you know what you're doing. But in order to have certain doors open, you have to have this piece of paper, perhaps from a white institution. And I have to say it, it has made a big difference in my life. Doors have been opened for me that I feel very strongly would not have been since uh, getting that MFA. Is this something we're going to be able to change? Like it kills me that this is that this is still going on. Do you feel that we're making any strides? And how can we continue this conversation and keep the conversation going? Well, it's 300 years of pathology. And it's for in America, particularly, it, it's very much about there's a large percentage of the population that would like to sort of sweep it all under the rug. But I would use the analogy of, I hate to say something as hyperbolic as cancer, but when there's something that is invading, say, the body, using the same metaphor, mm-hmm. if you don't address it, honestly, it's it's just going to fester. And so mm-hmm. I think communication and research, it's generally not the responsibility of the oppressed to explain why and how they are oppressed. It is the, I would say, equal responsibility for those of uh, those who might consider themselves in the majority to also read, do research, be open and become allies to change. That's right. That's because right. one side is not going to cure it all. We all have to. It's almost like that song that you just played. We are a family. And we're, that's we what I was all just thinking. Yeah. That, Lee, that's exactly what I was thinking. If that's the mm-hmm. mantra of this interview and of life and of how we can make the world a better place, that we're all family. We're all interconnected. When I help you shine your light, my light shines too. We all shine together. We all hold hands together. That's really, Absolutely. I think, the answer. It sounds simplistic, but it's it's so true. It's so true. I think people listen to creativity. They respond. Some as you learn more from artists than you do from the news, right? So you creating all of this art and being a composer and being a librettist and, and being an actor and a singer and a, and a director and all the stuff that you're doing, you're helping to contribute to getting that message across. I hope it, so. It, you're doing it. I know you're doing it already. I, I hope so. I mean, we, you know, you, you create your art and you just send it out in the world and you, and you hope that it changes something. You love being a storyteller. And as I've mentioned a few times, you really do it all from directing to performing to creating musicals as a composer and librettist. Is there a favorite place for you or do you like to dance amongst all of the art forms? Wow. Well, directing seems to be the the gift from the universe that I never planned to have. And I think because I do wear so many hats, directing seems to be, believe it or not, the easiest for me because, <laughs> wow. because being an actor... And being a writer and being a composer, by the time I'm sitting in an audience, rather sitting in a rehearsal with an actor, I know what it feels like to be an actor, the vulnerability, the fear, the the lack of knowing exactly what you're putting out. So I have that sensibility with actors. And, and I've studied acting, of course. And um, 
the same with understanding music and understanding lyrics, all of that. So as a director mm-hmm. of musicals, this, I think that's why I keep getting these awards. I'm like, I that wasn't my dream. My dream has always been like the, from Tennessee State being on stage, the applause and doing the plays <laughs> and so forth. Yes. But this directing thing seems to be the most fun and effortless. However, I still crave and love working on the stage as an actor and particularly working in TV and film, which is something I plan to do more of this year. Wow. That's so great. I love when you said, as long as I'm in the game, an actor only needs that one job, which can change their life. And you've said it always comes back to the work and the craft and that you just want to work. And you've just said it. And there's something about doing that. That is just, I know. I also know what it is. It's, It's intense. Yeah. People expect that one day, some magical thing will happen, but the the key is to find joy and bliss along the way, every step of the way, so that by the time you step into that opportunity, you've already found your joy and you you just know that this is where I'm, I'm to be right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I could talk about this all day long. Oh, I don't you, know, Judy, where are you finding these? Do you, you, I, mean, <laughs> I do my research. Whole, this is uh, what I have to do. It's like an actor doing their research and, and figuring out the whole uh, subtext of their character and their why and their, I don't know, their beats and their whatever super oh objectives my, and intentions. Yeah, I have yes. to find that out too. Um, wow. You, in addition to all that you do as an actor, director mm-hmm. and, and composer, you're also now a teacher at NYU Steinhardt. What do you love about teaching? Is it fun? Oh, my God. My students, yes, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. There's a professor there. Her name is Diana Heldman. And she said to me when I first came on board, she said, our job is to reveal, allow these students to reveal who they are and reveal their talent. And that's been my philosophy. What can I have the students reveal that they don't know that they have? And again, that the fact that I've been doing it so long and I know what my personal process and processes are. And I know when I read, say, or, or study or go back to, say, Meisner or Uta Hagen, I know how to channel that through in a way that they get it. And it's so exciting to see them grow and surprise themselves and just the joy and it gets very emotional. I don't know if Lily has told you, but there are times we're in class and, you know, there are tears, you know, there are, people are so deeply moved and people are discovering yes. things about it's a very vulnerable class. However, we've created a very safe space. And by going back to school late in life, I sort of hop back on the brainwave of the millennials by uh, <laughs> by being there. Isn't there a lingo? Isn't there a lingo it, fun? It, it, I it's love so it. fun. It's so different. <laughs> and as a boomer, I'm just so glad that I went back and I'm literally in class having to raise my hand with, with these young people, although they're playing records that I'm on. That literally happened in, in grad school. They were like playing dream girls and played my voice in class. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. But um, I learned Aww. so much and it helped me to adjust. And I feel like it was preparation for the time that I'm spending at NYU. And so, so I, the short answer is I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. That's so great. And also we learn by teaching, don't we? Like when you're oh, teaching, yeah. you almost learn your craft all over again. Like you're, cause you're so having to figure it out as you're teaching it. So you're learning it, relearning, you have right? To completely deconstruct everything. And that's when I mentioned that I'm looking forward to doing more acting again, it's, I'm really looking forward to using some of the things that I've learned by teaching. Wow. Wow. That's so fabulous. Yeah. 
Do you have an ultimate dream in this industry? Like if you, if I could just wave the magic wand and it really could be anything. Yeah. And maybe this footage will come back. I'm claiming and, 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 um, my bucket list is to get a Tony award. That's on my bucket list. Uh, who knows these awards I keep winning and these, uh, opportunities to get up and figure out how to, you know, these little acceptance speeches. I, I learned <laughs> from the first award that always have your acceptance speech ready. Cause I, the first award I won that I recently where I had to jump up, I was like unprepared because I didn't expect it. But now I know always write it out. But a Tony award <laughs> would give it. me, uh, give me a little bit of, uh, would affirm my journey a bit. I feel. Tell us about that first award that you won and what that was like for you. Tell us more about that. Well, I've won a few, but the first performance award, well, at first, here we go, Judy. The first (laughs) performance award I won was in like in 1980 at Opryland. I won most outstanding male vocalist and um, the most outstanding female vocalist. Her name was Mary Elizabeth Mastro Antonio. I don't know if that name rings a bell at all. It does ring a bell. Yes. She played Scarf in the movie Scarface. Yes. She was Al Pacino's little sister. Good and Lord. We both moved <laughs> oh to God. New York. And yeah, we moved to New York, but she was the most outstanding female vocalist. I was most outstanding. So that was the first award I ever won. Wow. But in the last, say, few years as a director, I, that's the first I won that uh, Best Director Award. And what was your question? How did it feel? How did it feel? First <laughs> Uh, it was shocking. It was shocking. <laughs> Were you shaking when you went up on the stage and won that first award? Do you get nervous? I was I was bumbling. Do I get nervous? Yeah. Yes, I get nervous. Yeah, I'm glad Normal. we did the breathing thing before we did this because, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get nervous. I think nerves are healthy. I'm going to share something with you because I'm, I'm also a life coach. I, I know. And so I'm just going to share a little phrase about your Tony because I actually do visualize you winning it. So here's the phrase. Oh, okay. See it? Dream it, see it, believe it, take action, and you'll achieve it. And you will. Are you going to come back on this show when you have achieved it? Even when you're like, it's a Tony where you're going to be so busy, you're not going to have time. But will you, will you come back on and tell me about it? We, we, we have a date. <laughs> I love we that. We have a date. Okay? I love that. <laughs> what is bliss for Lee Summers? Oh, wow. What is bliss for Lee Summers? I think bliss for me is seeing that what brought me joy to create, it translates to others. That brings me bliss. It's like, oh, they get it. They understand it. It's feeding them. Yeah. It's it's doing something. It's taking action. It's helping. And that yeah. brings me joy and bliss. Wow. Many things bring me bliss, but particularly in the artistic realm, it is seeing something that I personalized and then seeing it translate to the public, if you will. I love that. You also wrote and composed from my hometown, which will soon be available, everyone, for licensing at broadwaylicensing.com. And I'd love to share your beautiful song with our audience right now. Can you set up the song from my hometown and what your inspiration was for it? I had um, decided that I wanted to, I heard some guys outside of my window in Upper West Side in New York. They were harmonizing on the street, three black guys. And I wondered what was their story? What was their story? So I have a friend named Ty Stevens and a friend named Herbert Rawlings. And I said, and Herbert is a tenor, beautiful tenor. Ty is a baritone. I'm a bass baritone. And I wanted the two of them to join me in creating a, a story about three guys who meet up and 
start singing harmony. And so they're both Broadway guys that I was trying to get. And I knew that I had to sell them on the idea. So I wrote a song called From My Hometown that basically represents all three of our parts. One of them is a guy from Philly, where there's a hit record label called Philadelphia International. The other one is from Memphis, which I took on Memphis, even though I'm from Nashville. But there was black music coming out of Memphis. And the other is Detroit, Motown. And so you're going to hear me singing three parts of three different R&B music capitals. And this is the song that I gave to those two gentlemen to sell them on the idea. They said, yes, we went from doing the show in a little workshop where we had one light. And every time the two creators before they'd go, who's on light to uh, (laughs) (laughs) to an off Broadway show that ran at in two theaters for two over two years. And uh, now it's being uh, made available pretty much worldwide. So It's from my hometown, the original demo. And I'm doing all the parts, singing everything, doing the music, everything. And so it's pretty rough, but it launched its own little world. Congratulations on all of this. And everyone, let's all have a listen to From My Hometown by Lee Summers. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow. That was so beautiful. I, I can't even so tell you. It it reminds, you know what happens during that song? It's so funny because when we heard it yesterday before the show, everyone on the team just was blown away by it, like <laughs> all different ages and stages. And what I realized also is it reminds you of your own hometown. So as you're listening to it, you're thinking about where you started. It's just poignant and beautiful. And congratulations on that. It's just Thank just you wonderful. so much, Judy. Thank you for letting me share that. I have to say it has been, I don't know where the time has gone. There are a million other things I would have loved to ask you. And I'm just going to say that it's really been an honor to have you on the program today. And I want to thank you so much for being here. It has been my pleasure. And it's been an honor to share this time with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Lee. What is the best way for people to contact you, connect with you on social media, et cetera, to hear your music and to hear all your stuff? Oh, LeeSummersShows.com. You'll see Butterfly Theatricals, which is my my company, but it's LeeSummersShows.com. L-E-E-S-U-M-M-E-R-S Shows, S-H-O-W-S.com. That's wonderful. Thank you again, really. Thank, Thank you. you. This Judy. has been a great pleasure and, and an honor, I have to say. It's been my pleasure. I'll see you with the Tony soon. <laughs> see you at the Tony soon. Don't go anywhere yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss and singer and musical theater performer, Lily Liebrach, when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. 
Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're now joined by musical theater performer Lily Liebrach. Lily Liebrach is a singer, actor, dancer, creator, and adjunct professor of voice at NYU. By 2024, she will hold her Master's of Music in Vocal Performance, Musical Theater, and Advanced Certificate in Vocal Pedagogy from New York University. She graduated from Sheridan College's Musical Theater Undergraduate Program in 2022, and there she starred as Lillian Holiday in Viol and Breck's Happy End. Lily was named a top 10 finalist of Mervish's Worldwide Show Tune Idol competition, and she has been featured in City Life magazine. She recently performed Until Then with the Eclipse Theatre Company, a new musical written by Andrew Seok, along with many Canadian composers and lyricists, including Shalina Kennedy and Britta Johnson. She also participated in a reading of a play by Emile Scher and a showcase with the Harold Green Jewish Theatre Company, a winner of both the Kiwanis Music Festival and the Oakville Vocal Arts Festivals. Lily continues to make her mark in the music and theatre scene. And for those of you who don't already know this, Lily also happens to be my beautiful daughter. Lily Liebrach, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you. Love you, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) I have to tell you, Lily, I haven't heard your new bio until now, actually, and I'm pretty impressed by all of it. How are you finding living in New York, studying musical theater, vocal performance, and vocal pedagogy at NYU? Well, I think that it's a very unique and special experience. I've always dreamed of being at NYU, and I think life shows itself in ways that you don't expect. I got to go to Sheridan College for my undergrad, which was one of the best experiences of my life. And I met some incredible people there, as well as grew a lot in my field in musical theater and learned a lot. And going to New York has always been a dream of mine. I didn't know if I actually was going to do it, but it happened to be the perfect time. And I couldn't be more grateful to be in New York and at NYU studying both musical theater, which I've always loved, as well as teaching, which has become my other passion, especially during COVID. That's incredible. And I love that you're not only singing musical theater, but you also really sing everything. I think that started with Jake's Jam, with the wonderful Ellen Schwartz's Jake's Jam, but you really sing everything from pop to jazz to even opera and, of course, musical theater. And recently you covered one of your favorite songs, Tennessee Whiskey, and I love your combination of classical meets country. Can you tell us a little bit about your cover of this song and how it really evolved and sprang to life? Yeah, totally. So I have been singing this song, I would say for about two years now. And it's been one of those go-to songs for me. I love singing it. And I think that it's a great song on its own. And I love putting my own spin on it. But this experience was especially very unique in that 
when I got into the studio with Stephen McKinnon, he challenged me to make it my own, really make it my own version, which I already thought I had done, but I really <laughs> had to make it my own version. He got me to change the classic riff that Chris Stapleton always does in his <laughs> version of the song and basically gave me prompts in order for me to make it my own. So it was one of the most creative and collaborative experiences I've had in my career thus far. I really got to go into the studio with an idea of my own of what I wanted the song to sound like. And I left with a completely different version that I didn't even know completely what it would sound like in the end. Because after I left the studio, he added on guitar and other layers to it to enhance it even more. So I'm very grateful for that experience. I also worked with Amy Skye um, in collaboration with Stephen McKinnon as well. And they're incredible people and very accomplished and revered people in the industry. So it was such a great experience to work with them as well. That's so fantastic. Let's all have a listen to Lily's cover of Tennessee Whiskey. Wow, Lily, that was so beautiful. I actually really could listen to that song over and over again. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I've asked you this question before, so I'm going to ask you today, what is bliss these days for Lily Liebrach? A lot of things. I think having a mom that really specializes in bliss, it's often <laughs> something that I think about. And for me, it's definitely my family always the incredible friends and support system that I have, my boyfriend, Matt, and really music and the power that it can have on so many different people. I would say the Jake's Jam community is another bliss of mine and really any way that I can make the world a better place, I would say is my bliss. Is it normal that I cry every time you sing? <laughs> and and I, I cried a little bit in the intro. I just want to share that. I don't know why, but I'm just really <laughs> proud of you. What is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? And of course, to listen to Tennessee Whiskey and some of your other music. So my Instagram account is just Lily Liebrach. And on YouTube as well, my channel is Lily Liebrach. And Tennessee Whiskey will be the newest on my channel. And yeah, you can stay updated. I might be releasing Tennessee Whiskey on Apple Music and Spotify as well. So definitely stay in the loop for all of that. I also am on TikTok, LilyLeeBrack00. They always have those fun <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> That's fabulous. I want to thank you so much, Lily, for being on the show today. It's really been so delightful and lovely to have you here again. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. Also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics you would love us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Just write to us at FYB at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrach. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank all of our wonderful guests, Lee Summers, 
and Lily Liebrack for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Nayira Amani, audio engineer Juliana Yanutiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.